welcome to Until Saturday, the Athletics College Football Podcast. I am your host for today, David Ubbin, along with Seth Emerson here, who covers uh, Georgia and the SEC for us at the Athletic. Uh, be sure to follow this podcast on, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're probably there, and uh, that way, uh, new episodes reach you as soon as they're released. And if you could also leave us a five star review and a five star comment. Uh, we'll get to it in a future mailbag episode. There's plenty to talk about uh, in this sport. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Uh, you can also check us out uh, until Saturday on YouTube. Just hit subscribe so that you know when new videos are published. Today, Seth, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, I should update our, our listeners. Um, this is like a football and grits adjacent show. We're going to be talking SEC today. You can't find football and grits this year. Uh, my co-host and I, Brody Miller, uh, that show will not be continuing this year, but I will be on the podcast quite a bit. Seth, I'm sure you will make uh, some appearances as well from time to time. Today, we're talking SEC names to know. And Seth, this is more or less breakout guys. We can define yeah. breakout in many different ways. Some guys you've never seen play before. Some guys you might have seen somewhere else. Some guys have done a couple things and, and might be household names by the end of the year. You can define breakout. Your names need to know in, in a lot of, uh, of different ways. But we got 10 of them here, Seth. Yeah. Your, your names, I have to say, like to go behind the curtain here, your mm-hmm. names, I'm not saying that I had to Google some of them. <laughs> but let's just say that you went a little bit more like micro <laughs> You know, and and the very transfer well, portal, like, baby. <laughs> if you pay attention to college football and recruiting, you knew all of the names David put in there, and, and yes, they're, sir, they're very they're very good names. I, as you as as you're going to basically know the names that I chose, but I wanted to talk about them, and mm-hmm. maybe it was more for not even just an SEC audience, but like a more these are names that are going to be the household names in a way, uh, or that I'm just curious about for the nation this year, Mm -hmm. which when you're talking about the SEC, that's, that's, that's the nation or at least national interest. Well, Seth, as, as any college football conversation must begin, we got to start with Dion, right? That's, that's, that's how I under, that's how I understand <laughs> Wait, hold on. it. Have I, I know we're, we're in a big realignment time. Uh, did I, did I, um, let me, do, should I check, uh, threads or yes, Colorado to the whatever? SEC. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Did I miss uh, stay with me. Okay. My first okay. name you need to know, Mr. Shane hooks. Uh, he is better known as a wide ah, receiver for the, for I the Auburn tigers, yes. but he is a graduate transfer from Jackson state who did not follow Deion Sanders, a.k.a. Coach Prime, uh, to Colorado. Maybe he wanted to win a few more games, which I suspect Auburn will do. He's trimmed down uh, about 15 pounds from last season, but I'm not going to say this is my this is a through line of all of my picks, but I think experience is the best teacher. He played a couple seasons at Ohio, um, had about 35 catches there. Last season, though, at Jackson State, 64 catches. 748 yards, 10 touchdowns, led Jackson State in all of those numbers. Uh, committed to Ole Miss initially. Auburn flips him, uh, I think, like a week or so after that. And whether it's Robbie Ashford or Peyton Thorne throwing him the ball, Auburn needed receivers. They needed to upgrade. And, and you looked and you saw Hugh Freeze really go hard uh, at receivers in the portal. And I don't think they got a better one than Shane Hooks. I think he could come in, can, can come in and make some noise immediately. As a grad transfer, you know he's trying to make some money. He's trying to get out there, uh, play at the highest level. Uh, is he going to catch you know 
80 balls, you know, go for a thousand yards. I'm not sure. But if he led Auburn in receiving this year, I'm not sure that I would be surprised. Um, and, you know, grabbing a first team all swack guy, I think he can come in and make some noise. Um, he's going to do it for some new Tigers this year. Um, I think a good comparison for him, Seth, is he's, he, he strikes me. He might be this year's Juice Wells. You're guy, a, I just I was looking up Juice as well stats, and that was giving me my contribution to this. And now you're just 68 catches, it. yeah, 68 yeah. catches, 928 uh, yards last year for South Carolina after moving up from James Madison. Uh, I think he, Juice might be an All American this year um, yeah. with another year. First back team All SEC last Rattler. year, kind of mm-hmm. quietly almost. So that's sort of the comparison, and I think you're going to see him um, do some things. You know, again, six four, one ninety ish. Uh, I think he played it like 205 last year. I'll be very intrigued to see what he can do um, going from the SWAC to the SEC. It's a big jump. Yeah, it's uh, the I guess the where, where it doesn't compare to Wells is Wells was going to an estab- more established system. Mm-hmm. Um, and but he is also going to be working in with a transfer quarterback the way uh, Wells was with Rattler last year. Yeah, I. It, it it's it's almost gonna be like a parallel um kind of tale on how Dion's players from Jackson State are are doing, you know, because you're mm-hmm. gonna have some of them at Colorado, but then if uh Shane Hooks kind of blows up at Auburn, um <laughs> there'll be people saying, Well, he didn't get the right guy. Um, or it, you know, you could just they all could just kind of be there. They all could be guys guys that are just interesting, but um, also it's just going to be Auburn's offense in general is going to be interesting to watch and how immediate of an impact, uh, you know, Freeze's offense has, but he's Mm -hmm. like, we're, I think a lot of people were expecting Auburn to take a big step on offense with Freeze in there this year, but, and they may, but man, they're, they're doing it with a lot of new players. Um, yeah, especially and question positions. marks at quarterback. I, I think it'll yeah. be interesting to see what that offense actually looks like because I think merging what Hugh Freeze does and bringing in Phil Montgomery uh, from Tulsa, a lot of Baylor concepts, mm-hmm. uh, I think will will find their way into this offense. And you know that offense, there's a lot of opportunity for receivers. I, I think you're going to see them uh, have a bit of both, a bit of what we saw from Hugh Freeze, you know, at Liberty and with Malik Willis um, previously, but also at Ole Miss. Uh, and I think, you know, look at who freezes history with receivers, AJ Brown, Laquan Treadwell, when he gets the dudes, they do pretty yeah. well. I think, I think he might have a dude here. He might have a dude here. Seth, who is your first name that we should know? Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember, uh, producer show me who I put up. Who did I list <laughs> first? Oh, was it Dominic Lovett? Okay. Let's stay with yes. transfer receivers. Okay. Um, he's, he's a actually well-known commodity around the SEC. Uh, so going with my theme of I'm not picking unknowns, but uh, he's he's going to be interesting because he's a slot guy and Georgia is known lately for tight ends and they're known for, you know, using not, not so much the slot as much and, and using more tight end, double tight end. And, and I still think they're going to, but Mike Bobo as a new offensive coordinator is going to adjust to his personnel the same way that Todd Munkin did and would have Mm -hmm. this year. And Brock Bowers, by the way, is more of a flex out tight end. He's more of a positionless player. He's not really, I mean, he's a tight end, but he's not really a tight end. He's Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. a positionless guy. He will be an H back sometimes. He'll be a fullback. He'll they'll hand him the ball not very often, but like near the goal line. But he'll like so. How much is Mike Bobo and Georgia going to flex out Brock Bowers when they also have Dominic Lovett? They could continue to do both. I think they will not attach Brock Bowers to the line as a traditional tight end um, and kind of take away what he does best. So there might be a lot of spreading out and Carson Beck, who we all assume is going to be Georgia's first quarterback out there um, and have every chance the first month of the season to lock down that job. He's going to have a lot of weapons to throw to spread out wise and Dominic Lovett. I don't know if it will translate to stats. Like he's another one of those guys who, and this goes for Georgia in general, um, like offense and defense, you don't put up huge stats because they've got so many guys, but love it could make a bigger name for himself this year than he has at Missouri uh, the last couple of years, because he'll be you know, obviously with Georgia's schedule, not right away, but as the season goes on, he'll be in some more high profile games. He will make some more high profile plays. He's a guy that has generated a lot of buzz when he got here in the spring, uh, less so, more so than the other transfer wide receiver Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, and that was because of Thomas running into some off-field problems. Um, but Lovett's a guy that I think is, is going to surprise people, um, but Georgia has a lot of those. Uh, they also have they, – they still got Ladd McConkey hanging around. Um, mm-hmm. if, uh, they've got some guys like Marcus Rosemey Jackson, who's an outside guy, Arian Smith, who made that long touchdown catch and run in the Peach Bowl against Ohio State to spur Georgia's – second half comeback they've got a lot of weapons love it is one to watch because i again i don't even know if he'd finish in the top three for georgia receiving wise could be beat out by mcconkey bowers and somebody else but he is a speed slot guy who if he stays healthy georgia hasn't had that guy the last two Mm -hmm. years and i want to take some time uh i've got my notes here together uh seth i'm going to take about the next 20 minutes of the show to read you the entirety of Eli Drinkwitz's comments about Dom Lovett at SEC meetings um, where you and I were in, in, in uh, Destin this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was asked about the transfer. He said, really good player. Great young man. High character, man. Works really hard. Obviously was very good for yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, welcome he expanded to the transfer on it a little era. bit in Nashville, but yeah, but in Destin, he was very, you know, like it, it was, it was obvious. He, he still had some bitterness there. Speaking of one bitter transfer to another, uh, Seth, my next guy on the list, we have Zachary Franklin, another wide receiver from Ole Miss, a very intriguing late addition for Ole Miss. If you don't like group mm-hmm. of five football, which you should, He's a new name. If you do, oh, you know him. You know this man. UTSA's finest. Uh, nobody in college football has more catches than this guy coming into the season in their career. 262. Again, experience. A great teacher. Two-time All-UC USA. Honorable mention All-American last year. A known entity across the sport. Less so in the SEC. I think the NFL is maybe sleeping on him a little bit. I think he can make a bunch of money, especially in this offense this year. We saw the kind of year uh that uh that Jalen Hyatt uh had in this offense and came came from uh a guy that wasn't necessarily on the NFL's radar to uh, a first round pick if I if I'm not uh, incorrect you know 6'1 185 um but he can play the position i think certainly 
it's worth talking about. He's also emblematic of a lot of the problems facing the sport of college football right now. He is what so many group of five coaches um, complain about, not him specifically, but him as a concept. You know, they feel like they're the farm system to the rest of the sport. And he was a very, very, very surprising uh, entry into the portal. He didn't enter until uh, after spring ball, late April. Uh, if you're planning on moving up, like a lot of the G5 guys do, that's not typical. <laughs> I won't use the T word because I don't have any proof, but certainly a lot of people presumed that he might be headed to Colorado when he went in the portal. He did not. All that stuff aside, he is a perfect fit for this offense. Uh, he really uh, succeeds well or, or, or does well, excels when he gets to the top of that route. And in this offense, you're making a lot of reads. You're saying, hey, the corner's doing this. The safety's doing this. I've got to read that and make my move. He really, that's probably the best part of his game. And I think he really is a great fit for this offense. I'm sure that they uh, made that case to him. When he gets that guy in space one-on-one at this, you know, deep downfield, you know, bye-bye. There's a reason why he's got so many catches. And, and, and you know, that, that just spells trouble for defenses. Huge pickup for Ole Miss. Uh, and, you know, they're they're rebooting like a lot of schools are. And, and uh, in the portal era, you know, you can never be uh, you, you can never be too settled. You can always add a guy. And, and Franklin was a guy that a lot of people wanted for obvious reasons, because production experience, all those things, you know, he might be I, I personally would vote for Devin Leary. But, you know, I, I, Franklin might be the best portal pickup of anybody in the country this year. Yeah. So f- far, we've talked about three straight transfer receivers, mm-hmm. but from different levels, first FCS, then within the SEC and now group of five. Let me hop on what you said about like, you know, group of five coaches and others feeling like we're developing these players and then they transfer. And I, I get it. I'm sympathetic to that, but I, I like there, there should be no rule against it. Mm-hmm. Like the coaches can do it. They, they, you know, if you want to stop it, allow players to have contracts, make them employees, do what mm-hmm. people are talking about. That's the only way you can a- attach these guys to schools. If, if it's, it's America, man, you know, the, if, if they have the ability to, because they showed out at one level, move up a level and on top of it, get more money for it while their name is marketable, then they should have that ability. It kind of goes back to, I, I don't want to get into all the, should there be guardrails for this or that or whatever on NIL on this show, but like it gets back to what we talked about, why name image likeness rights should be there in the first place is because so many of these players, you know, may not go on to the NFL and this is where their name is the most valuable. And this mm-hmm. is the time in their life when they get to cash in the most. And before July 1st, 2021, they, they weren't legally able to do that. And that wasn't fair. And now they can. Um, and in addition with the free transfer, like you couldn't do that either. But before, mm-hmm. I don't think it, it all happened around the same time, David. But do you remember, was it like 2020 or was it 2019? I think the one-time transfer came in right before NIL. Right, and NIL yeah. certainly, you know, the ability to entice with the cost of leaving being lower than ever, mm-hmm. um, you know, has they've teamed up to really add a lot of instability to the sport. And it's certainly the coach's number one complaint. Um, I find those complaints... I get it, but also you're paid a lot right. of money. You're a big boy. You'll be fine. So 
Um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon unless the rules change, which there doesn't seem to be besides portal windows. Um, there doesn't seem to be much, I, much, uh, much difference. There's a lot of people that seem to be holding out hope that Congress is going to bail them out and <laughs> good luck. <laughs> you, you, yeah. I think Ted Cruz was the latest to submit a bill today, which looks like it was probably written, you know, by, you know, <laughs> the <laughs> certain powers that be in college athletics. Um, but, uh, you know, when you look at bills like that, you look at the Mansion Tuberville bill, and then you look mm-hmm. at the Chris Murphy uh, one, and you you know you, you look at all these, you're like, I don't think they're going to come together on anything. I don't, you know, <laughs> and 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 no one has, by the way, like reviewed the whole how a bill becomes a law thing. Like, yeah. th- there is a White House involved here that probably is not going to sign a bill that is seen as in any way curtailing the rights of, of young people. Uh, I actually asked Greg Sankey whether they've uh, talked to the white house and he says, well, we, you know, we're, we're not doing that yet uh, until there's a bill, like till there's a real bill, then you bring in the white house. And that kind of shows just how not far down the road they are on all this. And I think we can all agree, Seth, anytime that there's a problem and then Congress gets involved immediately, Sensible solutions, clarity, common sense is introduced into the into the the, the equation every mm-hmm. time. I, I've never seen Congress have any other outcome, so I'm sure this is going to go great uh, for college yeah. sports. And Who's it's your always next great guy? when you have a whole <laughs> bunch of bills being introduced. It's, yes, exactly. You know, to complicate it further. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So I think we're staying on the receiver theme for me, um, but a non-transfer, uh, mm-hmm. Evan Stewart, which. This one is obviously a name that everyone should know. Uh, if you follow the sport, he was a five-star recruit. I chose him, and he, and he had a pretty good freshman year at Texas A&M. I chose him because he may go under the radar because he just didn't make any news <laughs> in the offseason. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't transfer. Um, he had a solid season. Uh, he he would have had a better season if Texas A&M had a more competent offense and, and stable quarterback situation. And we will see, but if Bobby Petrino, you know, for all of his faults, he's good calls a good game. Um, man can call ball yeah, plays. Yeah. Uh, and, and if he and Wegman or anybody else, but soon it'll be Wegman um, kind of, keeps the or get settles down the Texas A&M offense and they have a competent offense then then ever Evan Stewart's got the ability to be an all-American. Um I think not just I think you're first right. team all SEC. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. My next thing, we got to stay on the A&M train. Uh, my guy Ruben Evans, or Ruben Owens, excuse me, uh, spelled like Rue the Day, not the sandwich. Uh, number two running back in this class. AM's got a huge hole uh, in the backfield without uh, uh, Devon A. Chain. And 
you got to feel that. And I think Evans is a guy that has the ability to step in. There's a ton of opportunity there. Um, we'll get to more guys who have a ton of opportunity in some surprising places um, later in my list. Really good feet, can shift uh, really well in tight spaces. You know, I, I don't think you can learn a ton from recruit highlight reels, but I think you watch a little bit of it. I'm not exactly a recruiting tape grinder mm-hmm. uh, guy getting out to camps, but I've seen enough of him to say, okay, I, I see it with this kid. Um, you can also catch passes, uh, great threat out of the backfield. Petrino loves using backs uh, in the passing game. We've seen Jimbo do it too. But I think most importantly, AM's offensive line, I, I think they could be a real strength this year. Uh, last year, they really struggled inexperience and injuries uh that's a bad combo and AM dealt with both of those they've got four guys back they've recruited well there don't be surprised seth if that's one of if not the most improved units in the in the conference maybe even the country um you know with inexperience and injuries one of those is guaranteed to change we know that they are going to be more experienced this year if they can stay healthy you know, I think Owens is the biggest is the biggest guy that can really benefit uh, from that. So I'm going Ruben Owens. Uh, definitely a guy that that has some potential to make a ton of noise. And if AM, who I'm in on this year, yeah. makes some noise, he's going to be toting the rock quite a bit. Yeah, I wrote a column from uh, SEC Media Days talking about Texas AM is probably the most intriguing SEC team because I think there's this perception that that vaunted NIL number one ranked class from a year ago was a bust and that a bunch of guys transferred. But if they signed so many good players that the ones that are still there are still like a really good core of players Mm -hmm. and they're going into their second year. And, you know, Owens wasn't part of that as a transfer, but if, again, if they settle down the offense, if they settle down the quarterback situation, you mentioned the O-line, they've still got really good D linemen there. What do Nick Saban and Kirby Smart do? They build their team around the lines, physicality, trenches. If you look at AM's schedule, it's still hard in this last year of only a four-team playoff and an SEC West existing where it's, you know, it's harder to play that schedule than it is the SEC East typically. It's hard to see them having the, you know, blow up, make the playoff year. But I, I they could have a 10 and two type year and people should be ready for that. Or, <laughs> or the, the Bobby Petrino experiment backfires and the, the issues that existed in that locker room last year because of that freshman class and guys getting money that they actually, some of the guys talked kind of openly about surprise me in Nashville, they could continue and that team could crater. Um, I don't, I don't know which direction it would go. I would lean towards there'll be more kind of they'll be improved. Like it, it, you're just kind of depending on Jimbo Fisher knows what he's doing ultimately. But, you know, we've seen better coaches flame out in college football. So you never know. I think ultimately this team has the widest variance of any team in yes. the conference. Talented enough to win 11 games, dysfunctional enough to lose seven. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's the AM story, and and we will see. But regardless of what happens, I think Mr. Ruben Owens uh, gets his this year. Uh, who's your next guy on the list, Seth? Uh, another. Well, you know, if you're if you know SEC football, you're like, well, of course we know this guy. He's not an under the radar guy. Quinshawn Jenkins from Ole Miss. He put up a lot of numbers last year, but again, almost quietly. 
like got overshadowed yeah. by everything else going on in the SEC. And you look Quite up and you're 1800 like, oh, yard season in yeah, the history of yeah, college exactly. football. <laughs> it, it's almost like uh, the, the, the Iowa state running back from a few years ago, Brees Hall. Like, yeah. um, yeah, that he puts up these big numbers and nobody kind of believes it. Um, and some of that was just because it was Iowa State. This one, it's more like, well, it's you know, it's Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin's offense. You know, they put up a lot of numbers, but a lot of numbers. And he's a guy that, like, I when they put out these ridiculous, like, very early Heisman lists, you know, he sh- he should probably be on it. He's mm-hmm. he's gonna if he continues the progression from last year, he's gonna put up a lot of numbers and people are then going to look back at what he did last year too and go, Oh, this guy's really good. Um, And Ole Miss in general is going to be interesting. It always will be with Lane Kiffin there, but what he does at quarterback, how, how that all sorts out. And um, does Pete Golding figure things out for the defense? Um, And all of a sudden Ole Miss is, is the same team it was for the first half of last year, or are they the team that kind of faded, uh, faded maybe being a, you know, nice way of putting it in the second half of the season. But, but Judkins is, is a guy that I, like I said, it was a very under the radar 1800 yards and people should know that name. Well, I think part of it too is, you know, you have Zach Evans in the backfield last year. Everyone's talking about Zach Evans. I thought Lane Kiffin did a nice job of sort of eliminating some of the noise around Evans and, and just letting him be a football player. And he was speaking of Dion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty distraction. Yeah, pretty distraction-free, um, Zach Evans' time at, at Ole Miss. Um, but for Judkins to walk in as a freshman where you have a guy that's, you know, another five-star back that's got more experience than you and come in mm-hmm. there. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Evans was banged up a little bit last year. But for Judkins to take the opportunity that he had and turn that into an 1,800-yard season, I mean, it is it is wild. I, I think he deservedly should be on the Heisman shortlist. And, and I do think, <sighs> Seth, we don't need to get into the um, – the quality of Heisman voters, I have a lot of qualms with them. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty silly in a lot of ways. Like Heisman voters, one of the things that I think is very annoying that they do, and I, I am one, but I personally did not do this, is that they only hold quarterbacks accountable for teams' wins and losses, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. if you lose, no matter what happened, well, that quarterback can't be considered for the Heisman. We saw this, uh, like I think the craziest example was uh, Brandon Whedon at Oklahoma State. He goes into this Iowa State game as the clear favorite for the Heisman Trophy. They have, obviously, the the plane crash the night before um, where a lot of them lost a lot of friends and, and all of those things. They lose in double overtime on this insane, you know, I think there was a, a kick that they missed at the, at the, Quinn Sharp missed at the, at the gun of the fourth quarter. Uh, just goes right over the upright. You move that six inches to the left, you might have a Heisman Trophy in Oklahoma mm-hmm. State. But people say, well, we can't vote for him. I think he finished like ninth, and they lost that game, and, then, and they ended up you know, winning the Big 12 and winning a major bowl game, and he doesn't even get any – doesn't even sniff the Heisman. Well, Judkins – if Ole Miss goes 8-4 and four and Judkins has 2,100 yards, I don't, mm-hmm. think, I don't think voters will hold that against him. For one, you have Ole Miss that historically has not been a power in the sport, and for whatever reason – People seem to care less about a team's record when it's a running back than when mm-hmm. it is a quarterback. And I think that works uh, in his favor. So we'll see. You make a good <laughs> point. I, and you don't offend me because I'm not a Heisman voter. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not because I refuse it. When I worked for the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a surprising fact for a lot of people these days, uh, <laughs> we were not allowed uh, to vote in awards 
And so I gave up the vote. And then when I came back to the athletic, I just at this point, I've never kind of pressed the person in my state Mm -hmm. to, to the person who runs it in Georgia, uh, who dishes out the Heisman votes. I've never pressed them to get the vote back. Um, made it interesting last year when the quarterback in the town that I reside in became a finalist and there was a, you know, and, and there was like, well, he's just the, you know, the starter for, for the best team in the country. That's the only reason. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I am, when it comes to the Heisman, I'm a player of the year guy. I'm kind of like mm-hmm. you. It sounds like I'm, I'm like, who's the best, who's the best player period. Yes. Like what position tight end, whatever. And and I, I told people like I just, I've watched every Georgia game this year. Stetson Bennett's, you know, deserving. But like I, you know, you looked at Judkins at the end of last year, and you're like, that's a lot of rushing yards for an SEC running back. Like mm-hmm. that is impressive. Um, and yeah, that, that's what I think. That's how I think it should be. I mean, I don't. I'm, you yeah. know, there there should be a high standard. But I would even consider you know a group of five player yeah. that puts up huge numbers. I mean, maybe you want to see him do it against a couple good power five teams along the way, but like we, we should pick the best player for this award. Yeah. It's supposed to be the best player and it, we should pick the best defensive player. If it is, you know, some years, like two years ago, it might've been a defensive player and he didn't win. Well, my Seth, my philosophy is anytime that you can vote for the fourth best player on the national champion to uh, <laughs> be the Heisman trophy winner, you got to do it. You got to do it. So, uh, you know, Congrats to Heisman voters. Uh, we're going to keep it in the SEC East. Uh, well, the discussion, the SEC East anyway. Uh, I've been flying the Barry and Brown flag for quite some time. Uh, I think he and Dane Key are kind of a one-two punch uh, in Lexington. But it could not be lined up any better for Brown to go from promising freshman to a household name this year. I- I'm big on Kentucky. They get Liam Cohen back. They lose Will Levis. But they add the best quarterback in the in the portal in Devin Leary. Seth, can we get the calculator out? Can we talk some numbers? Can we talk some numbers briefly? Go for it. Go for it. 65% completion percentage, 300 and, or 3,433 yards, 35 touchdowns, five picks. That is Devin Leary in 2021. Mm-hmm. 66% completion percentage, 2,800 yards, 24 touchdowns, 13 picks. That is Will Levis under Liam Cohen in 2021. Do I believe that Devin Leary will be a step up from a second round pick? I, I, my guess is yes. It's why it's one of the reasons why I'm a high on Kentucky. Leary was hurt last year. Missed a ton of time. I think it took some of the hype off of him. Um, but you know, Brown is going to benefit from this. Um, you know, he's on the short list. I think of probably the fastest dudes in the country still learning how to play the position, but you know, he walked into kind of a tough spot last year. It did not go well uh, in uh, another year of Will Levis under Rick uh, Rich Scangarello. Um, he still catches 50 balls, 620 yards, something like that. That's impressive, and I, I think he will also make an impact in the return game. I just think all of the stars are aligning for Barry and Brown to have a massive, massive season and be a guy, um, you know, 1,200, 1,400 yards. I, I wouldn't be shocked if you saw that at the end of the year. If Kentucky has an explosive offense – Things get interesting here. Oh, yes. Kentucky, the the more we get closer to the season, I'm not going to say the more I'm down on Tennessee as the challenger to Georgia in the East, but maybe the more I'm like looking at Kentucky to the point where if it were reversed, like Georgia gets Kentucky in Athens and they go to mm-hmm. Tennessee. If it were reversed and 
you know, Georgia gets Tennessee at home again, but they have to go to Kentucky. You would look at it and go, Hmm, like, Hmm, like that gives you some serious thought. And I, I still have serious thought about Georgia going to Tennessee, but it's also like, it's in November, you know, we, we, and we've only seen Tennessee blow up like that one year. So you want to, you have some time to say, are they going to do it again? Kentucky, meanwhile, is almost sneaky because they've, they've never done it. Like they've, they've had a lot of almost, but they've never won the East. They haven't beat Georgia since 2009. So there's just a lot of, I guess, skepticism. It's like, okay, well, we've heard this about Kentucky before, but Mark Stoops is a really solid coach. He's a defensive-oriented coach. They've always had a pretty solid defense. If they get an explosive offense, and the ingredients are there, the question is whether it can happen right away. Like they've yeah. they've got Liam Cohen is back. He was there in 2021, but he was not there last year. So is there any level of adjustment, or does he just pick up where he left off in 2021? But Devin Leary is new. Does it end up being a little too much, and we don't have an explosive Kentucky offense? But if we do have an explosive Kentucky offense, like I said. Things get interesting in the East. I'm in on Kentucky. I answer yes to all of your questions, Seth. Kentucky. Uh, I think they make some. Can they win the East? I mean, listen, Georgia's the best team in the country, so I don't. I don't think you can sort of say, "Well, Kentucky's got to win the East for us to take them seriously." I think you can win nine games, ten games. You know, can you can you get past Tennessee in the East? Uh, beat them, you know, for the first time mm-hmm. in a little while. Um, can you do that? Um, that that will go a ways uh, in, in sort of determining how good this season is. If you win nine, ten games, you beat Tennessee, you finish second in the East. That's a heck of a season, and also you're probably in a New Year's Six game uh, again if you're Kentucky. So yeah, that's, but who that's cares? No, that's this no makes thing. me. This makes yeah. me. Uh, this makes me want their, the the twelve team playoff to start now. You know, yeah. like we already. I'd like I, to see I, them in the mix with yeah. like a bunch of other teams. I, I hate they to have to go up against. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah, to say, they have to go up against like a Big Twelve champion or something. Yeah, I'd be interested. Like, do you? Can you name who was in the New Year's New Year's Six Bowls last year? You know. Um. Don't well, ruin my point there, and name Cam. them. <laughs> but you're think, gonna. Well, think, there's a twelve team playoff. You're gonna be able to name the twelve the next year. You're yes. I, you listen. Your point is well taken, but I think that it is a cutoff for a lot of programs that say this is aspirational for us. If you get to a New Year's Six game, and I think with the bowl opt outs, what happens in that game is mm-hmm. kind of secondary. But if you can get there, that is a that is a demarcation for hey, we didn't play in one of the you know the uh, you know the Ricky you know. The, the ragtag bowls. We played in the real bowl games. Um, and that says, hey, you know, we were one of the dozen best teams in the country last year. I think that I, I your point is well taken, but I think for the programs the, nationally, it might not matter, but for the programs themselves, hey, we've been to, you know, two New Year's Six bowl games in three years. That is a real thing. So I do think there is some meaning there. It's um, going to matter who, more. If well, the playoffs will. You're hanging, a yeah. lot of programs are hanging banners for playoff right. appearances, right. And, and rightfully so, Kentucky as they should. Kentucky and Tennessee and Texas A&M, which we've talked a lot about, mm-hmm. would be three teams that would be so inter- more interesting to me this year in a 12-team yeah. playoff because you ultimately you think there's a ceiling there with Tennessee, Kentucky, and Texas A&M. Like they could have really good seasons, but you don't think they're going to break through yeah. and make the playoff and be either the SEC champion or the second team in. You think yeah. that that's coming out of 
Georgia, LSU, or Alabama. Could be wrong about that, but there's this less, you know, that seems like a far off hope. In a world of a 12-team playoff, you're you're like writing in Georgia, two of Georgia, Alabama, and LSU at this point. And you're wondering which of those three is not going to make it. And you're wondering who else from the league is going to make it and take advantage. And you're talking much more about Kentucky, Tennessee, and Texas A&M, or whether an Ole Miss will come out. It, it's going to make. And then in 24, we also bring Oklahoma and Texas in to the mix, too. A lot of uh, receivers on our list, Seth. Who's next for you? Um, the entire Georgia defense, <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about this from a personnel standpoint, because I, I think yeah. it's it's almost like a nameless group where uh, like two years ago when you had this generationally great defense, um, you know, Jordan Davis was kind of the face of the defense, but he was uh, it was Trayvon Walker, who not a lot of people talked about during the year, at least from a, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the hype compared to Jordan Davis or even Nicobe Dean, um, it was Trayvon Walker who was the number one overall pick, but they all kind of meshed in a way uh, to be this great defense, except for one game. Um, and this year, six out of the 11 in the preseason, all SEC defense first team was Georgia's defensive players. And I don't think that's realistic. I don't think it's going to work out that way. I think that's probably voters just kind of saying, oh, that's a Georgia player. I'm going to vote for him. Yeah. Um, he plays for Georgia's front seven, so he must be good. Right. But what I wanted to briefly do as someone who's you know, one of my jobs is covering this team um, is just say, here's I, I think the names that you need to most know from that defense and the names that you might know a little bit later in the year. Um, Michael Williams, defensive end, um, like a lot of Georgia players, like Georgia never has a guy leading the SEC in sacks. Like they, they just, part of it is that there are so many of them that they just kind of, you know, mix and match. Like this guy has a big game, this game, this guy's a mm-hmm. big game. Part of it is also like Georgia players aren't on the field very much defensively because they force so many three and outs. There's less chances for sacks and for tackles and and mm-hmm. picks and stuff. But Micah Williams defensive end has a chance to be a really good player and get a lot of stats, especially if Georgia is not having an edge guy who's putting up a lot of numbers. Um, they don't have a Nolan Smith type guy this year who actually didn't put up a lot of numbers last couple of years, partly because of injuries too. Um, Javon Bullard is a name that a lot of people already know. He was defensive MVP of both playoff games last year um, and probably made the most consequential play of the playoff when he uh, hammered Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> in the back of the end zone and dislodged the ball. Um, and it, you know, it was initially ruled targeting that it wasn't a lot of Ohio state people, including Ryan day still think it was targeting. I don't think it was by the rule book. Um, but if he doesn't make that play, Ohio State probably wins the game. Um, and Javon Bullard, he's just a really good player. Uh, and he's going to move. He was at Nickelback last year. He's going to move to safety this year. Um, the other safety, Malachi Starks, was also preseason all SEC. But he was kind of a little you know, iffy later in the year. Um, I'm, I'm curious whether he makes a big jump. And then um, the inside linebacker, Jamon Dumas Johnson, is just a hell of a player. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's going to – I don't – I don't know if he's going to be suspended. He was one of those players. He was actually uh, 
arrested for uh, street racing for an incident a week before the January 15th crash. Um, but the arrest happened uh, like a month or two later. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a long suspension if he's suspended at all. And when he gets back out there, he's, he's a hell of a player too. And going to kind of, and they're, they're going to, he may get a lot more stats this year because there's no Jalen Carter. Um, there, there's no, you know, continue no Jordan Davis type nose tackle, uh, that's going to clog up the middle and they, they don't have as many big names on the D line this year. So I think you'll hear more out of the, the inside linebackers. What do you make of some of the buzz around Nazir Stackhouse? Could you see him yeah. being a guy that people don't think is that Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis type before the season, just like a space eater mm-hmm. people are making cases for, for the Heisman Trophy. But we're sitting here in October, November, talking about this conversation we're having now. I mean, I can't believe we just slept on Nazir Stackhouse. Zion Logue, I think, played more last year. But is that a guy that you – is that a possibility? It is. It is. But he probably got, I think he was one of the first team guys. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a guy who is probably the most likely of those D linemen to pop this year. I'm not counting Michael Williams. He's exterior DN most of the time. Um, But Georgia has a lot. Nazir Stockhouse is a uh, interior lineman who's been around a while. And Georgia's got several of those. They've got him. You mentioned Zion Logue. They got Tramel Wathauer. Tyrion Ingram Dawkins. They've got some freshmen, um, Jordan Hall, Jamal Jarrett, who a lot of these guys are going to get a lot of snaps. And so it may prevent a guy from emerging. Like going into last year, we knew about Jalen Carter. We've known about Jalen Carter for years. Going into the two years before, we knew about Jordan Davis. Um, Devontae Wyatt was even, you know, getting some some attention. It, It may be hard for one of those guys to emerge. But maybe maybe they do. Um, and Stackhouse is the guy who's probably the most likely, although down the line, the guy is probably going to be the best player from that group is Jordan Hall, but he's just a freshman. It is interesting. I remember, um, you know, I've, I've talked about this on Football and Grits, but I talked to some coaches that in last offseason who basically told me that they believe Jalen Carter was the best player on t- – Georgia's 2021 defense that had all the headliners that you had Nicobe Dean, uh, you know, Jordan Davis, uh, you know, obviously Nolan Smith uh, played a little bit more on those teams, all those guys. And they're like, no, Carter is better than all those guys. Two SEC coaches told me that. Mm-hmm. I think that came to fruition in 2022. I guess we can debate 2021, but I, you don't hear quite that same buzz about anybody on this team, but yeah. you certainly, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, like you said, uh, there are limited opportunities in that front seven um, when you have recruited the way that you have and you have so much experience. Uh, but when there is opportunity, you know, sometimes maybe that, that lights a fire under some guys and say, hey, it's my turn now this offseason. And maybe you're a different player, you know, coming back. We'll see. I, I, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, Seth. Nick Saban, I think for all of his greatness, and I, it's amazing, we're 40 minutes into this. We haven't talked Alabama at all. I don't think we've even said the word Nick Saban. Listen, I, the greatest coach to ever coach in this sport. I do believe that, but at his core, he's still a DB coach. That is his specialty. Mm -hmm. I think people sort of forget that, especially with the offensive Renaissance that they've had uh, over the last uh, six or seven years of which I think they're going to do some, uh, uh, some, some devolution, I guess this year, Mika Fitzpatrick, Kool-Aid McKinstry. I think Caleb Downs might be the next one. Um, the buzz out of Tuscaloosa about him is loud. Uh, and Saban's, 
He seems lately to kind of tamp it down a little bit, but there's a ton of opportunity at safety for Downs to step in and make an impact. He's the number one safety in this class. Young DBs can succeed in this defense. You know, I think there's uh, all, there's this perception, and, and it is true that that Alabama's defense is very complex and, and difficult, um, and you got to do a lot of different things. But uh, you know, one of Caleb Downs' biggest assets is his brain. You know, he is big at 203 pounds. I think he'll probably get bigger just by way of being in uh, a a power conference program, as most guys do. But that biggest asset is his brain. He can read and react, and far beyond his years. Look out for him. I think he's a guy that, uh, you know, you could be talking about as, hey, this guy is a true freshman and he might be, you know, one of the best players on on this uh, on this Alabama defense. Um, you know, certainly I think, mm-hmm. you know, Jordan Battle's gotten a lot of headlines coming in, but Nick Saban has a pretty good track record with freshman DBs. And I think Downs is, is going to be the next one. Yeah, Georgia was going after him too. Um, they got Joanel Aguero is kind of the, I mean, they would have taken both, but they got uh, Guerrero, another five-star uh, out of Massachusetts. It's kind of a, you know, consolation prize. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, if you're going to start at Alabama as a freshman on defense, um, it's the same thing as at Georgia, where for all the great recruiting they do, uh, the the luxury of stacking great recruiting classes on top of each other is you don't have to throw a lot of these guys in there right away. Like they they come in as a five star freshman or top one hundred ranked freshman or whatever, but you you get to develop more because you don't have to start right away because you've got another five star or four you know, top one hundred guy ahead of you um, from a previous class and he had to wait and that's why Alabama and Georgia have become the machines that they are. That's why Alabama's been the machine. Why Georgia is the machine is because they they do that over and over, which is to say, when a guy starts right away as a freshman. Now I've seen freshmen start at cornerback Tyson Campbell. Um, now the Jacksonville Jaguars started as a freshman at Georgia and they, they eventually had to pull him. Um, cornerback is a tough spot when you're young, but safety safety's safety's more interesting. Malachi Starks was a freshman uh, starter in the latter half of last year at Georgia. Um, and actually he had some bad moments. Like there were some times that uh do you remember, was it the second half of the SEC championship when Garrett Nussmeyer's Lit him up. up and down the field? <laughs> and the camera was focused on Keely Ringo a few times after the play. And so a lot of fans naturally assume, oh, Ringo was the one who got beat because he was the one in the screen. Well, actually, Ringo was coming over and it was it was actually Starks's play. He Tried was to pass a guy fall. off and, and Starks yeah. is not there. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Well, Downs has to allay any concerns from Saban and, and – defensive staff there that that there would be any situations some freshman mistakes like that but um yeah i mean he he's going to be a hell of a player and uh you know yeah like i said everyone in america wanted him for the brief 30 seconds where the national championship was competitive who blew that coverage in the first quarter against tc was that starks as well <sighs> might have been um i don't even remember the play <laughs> uh <laughs> it was it was you know, I don't know. It, 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 I should remember the seven from sixty-five to seven, but I don't. <laughs> well, he didn't um, quite get in the end zone, if I as I recall. I think he got tackled at like the ten, but it was like it was it, like oh, you just you just don't see Georgia bust very often. So yeah. when you do, and it's in that stage, and it's against a team like TCU, who everybody just thinks they're going to manhandle. Yeah, it, it was like oh, okay. And to be fair, 
as I'm maligning Malachi Starks, he also made the play of Georgia's regular season when he ran down the Missouri player uh, Mm -hmm. at the one. Um, And I think it was 13 to three. I want to say at that point, it was something like that. And it was one of those plays where you're like, well, it's just, you know, delaying the inevitable, but no, they, they didn't score at the goal line with uh, three chances um, and believe had to settle for a field goal. Didn't have five downs in that game. Um, and Georgia ended up winning. Now, I might've, you never know, might've won without it, but Malachi Starks made a great heady play like that, but struggled a little bit later in the year um, mm-hmm. in pass coverage. Of course, well, when another team is throwing up and down the field, the way an LSU is because they know they've got no other prayer. Yeah. You, you know, the percentages are higher. You're going to give up a play here or there. Well, Seth, let's keep it on the defensive side of the ball. Do not forget about our injured boys, Seth. Mr. Mason Smith, two A's. Mason Smith. There's no, you know, we mentioned Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter this year, perhaps. There may not be one in college uh, football. But if there is, don't be surprised if it's Smith. He's who I'd probably bet on. Somehow, I think people are sort of sleeping on him. I'm not sure how. He went down with a knee injury in the first quarter of the opener last year. I hope people didn't forget about him. Big stopper up front for the Tigers, who I'm high on this year. Go back and listen to our Hot Takes show. Uh, I may have some LSU thoughts. But 6'6", 315, he's the kind of guy where coaches go, you know, they don't make very many of those guys uh, in the country uh, when you're recruiting. He carries it on his frame just, like, insanely well. Quick for his size, really powerful. You know, freshman All-American two years ago, really good head on his shoulder. You know, he's going to have a lot of double teams this year. I'll be, I'll be interested to see how he handles those. But, you know, Mason Smith, I, I mean, I I think him, again, they also have Makai Wingo. He's playing next to, uh, which can help alleviate some of those double teams. I mean, I Mason Smith seems like to me like he is he is bubbling up to a possible All-American season. Yeah, it's almost like a delayed version of my Evan Stewart pick where yeah. big you, you just kind of forget about him and didn't have a he, he was overshadowed uh was it already was Ed Orgeron's last year two years ago? Yeah. Um yeah. yeah, it was overshadowed by all the chaos um at the end of the Orgeron era. Uh and then is hurt last year as LSU makes this big run. Um and yeah, he's almost like a yeah, you know, five star well, edition for Brian. Everybody Kelly. wants to talk about Harold Perkins, and rightfully so. I think Harold Perkins is the best defender in the country, um, you know, this year. But Mason Smith, man, he's going to be a factor again. This we're getting into why I, why I am so high on LSU. I just think you look around. Yeah, there's, there's so like, many big names, impact players yeah. like everywhere. Like, yeah. like they've got the like, first team quarterback in Jaden mm-hmm. Daniels, um, and it's LSU. You know that yeah. Orgeron for all his faults recruited well while he was there and Kelly comes right in like they've they've they're going to have depth right I mean we would assume yeah. that they're going to have that's the thing that we're talking about um when you talk about Bruce Feldman's story about Michigan and we're going to have all these draft picks and so the, the pushback to that is okay maybe you've done well and you're going to have good players but what's your depth that's what separates Alabama Georgia LSU from everyone else right now mm-hmm well, I think it separates Alabama and Georgia from LSU, too. I think LSU, if you want to give me the starting 22, you can make a pretty strong case that LSU is the best team in the country. They do not have the same level of You depth. don't think they have the depth? Okay. I, I was, you gotta, I was you assuming it because their recruiting has <laughs> been good. They have good depth. Like, has been yeah, they have good depth. Good. Better, than, better than most of the country, but not to the level of Alabama and Georgia where, hey, our starting left tackle went okay. down. 
let's let's plug in our other five star left. Yeah. <laughs> They're not quite to that point. Uh, but uh, Seth, I feel like we've we've allowed folks to learn a lot of new names in the SEC. Um, keep an eye on some dudes. Um, it's a fun show. I'm excited for this season. I really can't wait. This is going to be. Uh, I don't. I can't really put my finger on it. Um, I'll be doing a bunch of Dion stuff, so maybe that's part of it. But I, I'm as excited for this season as any in quite some time. I'm like not really. It, it kind of feels like going back to school in some ways, where you're like, we gotta, you know, load up for this three month sprint. But I, I am very excited. Um, so we'll, we'll see all these guys on the field. Hope they all stay healthy. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to until Saturday. Uh, again. For Seth Emerson, I am David Ubbin. Be sure you're following the podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. You can be notified immediately when new episodes are up. We'll be doing an episode every single day, uh, every single weekday, uh, leading up until the season. Uh, we always appreciate a five-star review or a comment. If you leave those, we can uh, hit them up in a new in a mailbag episode coming up. So leave us a review and a comment. Uh, and be nice, people. There's some mean ones out there. Uh, I... I did you know that there are people that are mean on the internet, Seth? I've I've learned this. It's 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 not very nice. I'm I'm trying to wean myself off social media, <laughs> uh, except which is tough because our job like depends on it sometimes. Yes. Not to so people can see our work so much anymore, but like so we don't miss news. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People are people <laughs> are mean there. Well, you'll be updated when new videos publish if you subscribe to us on YouTube as well. And uh, I'm very excited. You'll. Be able to hear myself and Ari Wasserman quite a bit live on Saturday nights throughout the season. As soon as the games are done, we'll, we'll have some Pac-12 after dark, I'm sure, uh, on our screens while we're watching. Um, <laughs> while the but, Pac-12 uh, still exists. Well, yeah. Pac-9, let's, let's enjoy it while we still have it. Pac-9 after dark. Uh, we'll see. But uh, remember, you can't spell until Saturday without us. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. We will be back again tomorrow with another show.